As you do, take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. We are going to continue right along this morning looking at the last of the things that the believers in Acts devoted themselves to. And then next week, we will wrap up and, and take a look at kind of the overall picture. So, so what? What does it mean that they devoted themselves and what's the, uh, what, what, what is the kind of end goal of all that? What's the last thing that we see in, in, in this series, in the book of Acts? Um, I'm curious this morning what, uh, about a topic that you love to talk about, a topic that you can just share um, without any maybe real prompting, uh, you know, just something that you really, really have a passion about. Maybe it's sports. Maybe you uh, can, you know, at the, at the drop of the hat, talk about uh, your favorite sport or your favorite team and why everyone else is wrong, uh, right? I mean, you, you know, maybe it's family. Maybe kids or grandkids, uh, sibling, uh, maybe your parents, a, a grandparent, something like that. Some, something that, that just really is, is important for you to share and to talk about. <laughs> Over the past uh, year or so, we've seen a lot of people who are very passionate about politics. And they will tell you exactly what they think and exactly where they stand and why you are wrong if you don't agree with them on every single little point. Um, right? So, some of us are very passionate about Politics. Maybe for you it's movies or books or music or something else. In other words, we, we become, if I can use the word, evangelists for certain things. There are certain things that we don't have any trouble talking about and telling exactly what we think. And yet often, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we tend to shy back from that. Well, you know, the, the gospel might offend someone. If I tell someone about Jesus, I might offend them. And, and yet, my, my opinion on politics offends people. I don't seem to care as much about that, right? Now, the gospel is, is a word that simply means good news. That's, that's literally what the, the, where we get the word gospel from, from the Greek term that means good news. And the word evangelism simply means to announce good news. Now, in, in some sense, it can refer to good news about anything, right? As, as I've shared, we, we can talk about all kinds of things. We love to share good news. We can be pretty vocal evangelists about a lot of things. And yet, the, the thing that the Bible would call us to be evangelists about is the best news, the, the greatest story that was ever told, the message that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to the earth to be our Savior. Now, I wonder why, and, and there, there are all kinds of questions that, that and all kinds of studies have been done about why people don't share their faith, and, and I wonder sometimes if we try to overcomplicate the message of the gospel. One of the things I'm going to argue this morning is that if you know enough of the gospel to be saved, in other words, you know enough of the gospel to have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you know enough of the gospel to share that with someone else. And so uh, this morning, our, our big idea is, is simply this. God grows his kingdom as his people share the good news of the gospel. God grows his kingdom as his people share the good news of the gospel. This was true 2,000 years ago, and we're going to look at that this morning. It's true today. 
Even in the middle of a global pandemic, God is at work. God is growing his kingdom. Men, women, children across the world are being saved, coming to faith in Christ, being strengthened through local churches that look certainly a lot different than what we're used to. But the kingdom of God is still advancing because people are sharing the good news of the gospel. So if you have your copy of Scripture, join with me, and let's stand as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 this morning. That passage says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together and to see our mandate as believers and and to be encouraged in sharing good news. This morning, I pray as we look at some examples in, in the book of Acts that you will encourage us. And I pray you would put someone in our path today that need to hear the good news of the gospel. Show us how to do that this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, in, in our passage, you might notice you don't find the word evangelism here, right? But I think we do find the concept. And, and this morning, what we're focusing on is really the last sentence in this passage. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, it would be really simple for us to kind of take that sentence out of the rest of the passage, but the truth is um, you, you can't divorce that sentence from, from the preceding five verses because I think part of the evangelism of the other church, part of them telling others about the good news of the gospel was the way they operated as the church. So could it be that as the believers devoted themselves to Scripture, to fellowship, to prayer, and to worship that it spoke to the non-believers in the first century in Jerusalem? Could it be that all these things fueled their evangelism, fueled their passion to share the gospel with the community around them? Now this morning, we're going to look at three specific instances in the book of Acts, that give us examples of what it looked like for people to share the gospel. Now, these are descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? We'll see some things here that were unique to the first century that, that don't typically happen in a 21st century culture. And yet, in each of these three passages, we're going to see principles that can be applied. And so, much of our time this morning is going to be spent simply reading these passages in the book of Acts, now, the good news is they're all in the book of Acts, so you don't have to flip far, uh, all right? That, that's good news. And in fact, I even put them in a numerical order, all right? So you don't even have to flip back. The first one of these that we're going to see is in Acts chapter 8. 
Starting in verse 26, this is the story of a man named Philip and the Ethiopian official. By the way, um, we, we, we have two Philips that are, that, that are a part of the New Testament. One is, uh, was a disciple of Christ, one apostle. One was um, a, selected as a deacon in Acts chapter 6. This Philip is that man. He, he, was, he was a deacon. Otherwise, what we know as a layperson, not, a, not an apostle, not a pastor. This is, uh, if we can use the term, an average man who is devoted to Christ, whom God used to share the gospel in a pretty major way. So this is what we see in this story. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. Notice the obedience here, right? The Lord says, do this, go here, and he goes. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Now, this is a couple of things here that are really fascinating. First of all, we see this man is a Gentile, so a non-Jew, and he is an influential member of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians' court. He was a powerful government official. And Philip walks up and hears this man reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. By the way, if you're ever in a public place and you see someone reading uh, reading the Bible, especially out loud, perhaps you ought to ask some questions, right? Maybe, maybe that's, that's a good place to start. He hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and here's his question. This is how he starts his evangelism encounter. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he does not open its mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now that's a direct quote out of Isaiah chapter 53, which talks about the suffering servant. The one that we know as Messiah. And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? Look at this next part. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Now, again, this is a unique one, right? And, and we might say this seems pretty obvious. And yet, the Lord used Philip and the Lord used his word to save this man. Verse 36, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What should keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So, the first one, if you ever have, have someone asking spiritual questions, reading the Bible, saying, hey, I'm reading this and I don't quite understand it, let me tell you, I believe that's a flashing neon spiritual sign that says, share the gospel with this person. Okay? Don't, don't be afraid in that moment to say, you know, that's a really good question. Let's talk about that. Right? Now we're going to fast forward to Acts chapter 10. 
we're going to see another man named Cornelius and his household. We'll see yet another way that the Lord moves. This is a bit longer passage, so please uh, hang with me. We're going to read a lot of this. Um, back down through, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go down through verse 33. All right, so, so we're going to read a lot of this. But There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now here what we have is Cornelius, a man who is religious, even though he doesn't know Christ. says he always prayed to God. Um, he's, a, he's a soldier. He's a, a good man, if we can use that term. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people. He was very religious, but didn't have a relationship with Christ. And yet, God spoke to him and said, you need to go here. Now, now this is somewhat unique, but I, I, would, I would say to you, things like this still happen. Let me tell you a case in point. I got a text from a pastor friend this morning. Ironically enough, as I'm getting ready to share this, this message this morning. Um, he got so excited with this group of us pastors that have a, a group text, and uh, he, said, he said, the coolest thing happened this morning. He said, there was a man who walked in who said he was on a jog this morning and ran past our church, and as he jogged past our church, his mother's words came to him saying that she thought he needed to be back in church. So he goes home, takes a shower after jogging. This is in Florida, so that's important. Right? So he goes home, takes a shower, comes to church, and comes to faith in Christ. Because as he's running past the church, God grabs his attention and says, you need to be in church this morning. Is that not similar to what, what happens here with Cornelius? Things like this still happen. Not in this exact, this exact way, but they still happen. God tugs on people's hearts, calling them to himself. Next day as they were traveling and Nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure, ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, What God has made, do not call him pure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Now, keep in mind, Peter is a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. And suddenly he has this vision of, of God saying, These formerly unclean things are clean for you, as this Gentile man's um, messenger party is on his way. It's on his way to Peter. So Peter's 
perplexed, it says in verse 17, about what the vision he had seen might mean. Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, what does this mean, this weird vision of these things that were unclean, now suddenly being, uh, being made clean? What, does, what happens there? The Spirit told him, "Get three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them. With no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with them, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been answered, or your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was very good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. In other words, Peter just got an open invitation. We're all here. We've gathered everyone we know. We want to hear what you have to say. Tell us, what is, why did God lay you on our hearts? That's an invitation to share the gospel. Peter does. Cornelius and his household are saved because Peter listened to the, the voice of the Lord speaking to him. He obeyed and he shared the message of the gospel. One more. Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 16. This is a, a passage that we've looked at uh, a couple of times throughout this series, the, the Philippian jailer. We're going to read about how Paul and Silas found themselves in prison and, and what God did while they were there. Starting in verse 16. Once we, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. 
Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Roman citizens to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. So they're arrested for preaching the gospel, for, for essentially delivering, delivering this uh, young girl from uh, demons. And her owners don't really care about her. They just cared about the profit they could make on her. When their uh, hope of profit's gone, they have Paul and Silas arrested and thrown in prison. And you might imagine that they're despairing. Uh, maybe, maybe they're feeling a little bit down. Woe is me. God, how could you do this to us? We, we've been doing what you've said. And yet, look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm, I, I can't be sure, but I'm willing to bet that hearing prisoners praying and singing hymns to God was not a normal occurrence in prison. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Now, if singing, praying and, and singing hymns to God in jail was unusual, all the doors flying open and all the prisoners still being in their cells was extremely unusual. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, here, I don't think he's talking about spiritual salvation. I think he's talking about literally, how do I keep them from killing me tomorrow morning when they realize that all the, prisoner, all the prisoners are gone? They take his physical question and they turn it to spiritual things. Believe in the Lord Jesus, they respond, and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Now, the, the thing that unites all three of these passages is we see believers who are willing to share the hope of the gospel with those whom they've encountered. All three very different, three in, involving three different people. A couple of apostles, or maybe, maybe as, at least in the, in the first century context, what we would know as, as pastors. One man who was a, who was a deacon, who was a, a layman. And yet they all were obedient to share the hope of the gospel in different contexts with different kinds of people. And, and you know what I found most fascinating about this is that they didn't have, as far as we can tell, like a cute rehearsed gospel presentation. What was, what was Paul's response when, when uh, Cornelius asks, or excuse me, when the Philippian jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Sure, there were some questions that followed. What strikes me about all these is the simplicity of the message. Philip began with the the passage in Isaiah 53 and from there pointed the Ethiopian to Jesus. Peter's sermon basically begins with, let me tell you about this dream that I just had. Right before you showed up, let me tell you what the Lord has shown me and what that means for you. Throughout the book of Acts, we see these kind of stories. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want to encourage you with this because sometimes I think we, we can read the book of Acts and not realize exactly what's happening as, as we do so. So I want to walk you through this. Um, that just really quickly trace kind of the expansion of the gospel over the 30 years or so that, that are covered in the book of Acts. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we're told that there's about 120 believers gathered together in a room. And as far as we can tell, this is, if not all, the vast majority of the believers that existed in the whole world at that point. 120. And they're gathered in a room. They're trying to figure out what on earth to do now. Jesus has ascended into heaven and and Judas has gone and hung himself, and they're trying to figure out how they move forward. They make some decisions. They have what we might consider the first New Testament business meeting. And then fast forward to, to chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when people from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit falls, and they... they they, they, these people from different parts of the world see this group of believers, 120, by this point maybe a few more. The Holy Spirit falls and they start speaking in different languages and people from all over the world are hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own languages and they're wondering what on earth is going on and some of the accusations come that they're drunk and this is how Peter's most famous sermon begins. He says, we're not drunk. It's a, quite a start to a sermon, isn't it? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. He goes on to explain the good news of Jesus, and 3,000 people are saved. So right there, from 120 to now, over 3,000. The end of Acts 2, as we saw earlier, we're told every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Fast forward to chapter 4. We're told by this point, the number of men came to about 5,000. Now that's important. We talked about that in, in Mark. We looked at the feeding of 5,000. So the number of men came to 5,000. That doesn't include women and children. So at this point, we could assume that the total number of believers was somewhere around fifteen to 20,000 people. Acts chapter 5. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Now this is important because all through the end of chapter 7, everything in the book of Acts happens in Jerusalem. Okay? 
So, so this is all happening in Jerusalem. And we, at this point, we went from 120 to thousands over the course of what, what we think are maybe two or three years. Not, not a long period, but the, the gospel is exploding throughout Jerusalem. Then in Acts chapter 7, we have the account of a man named Stephen who was arrested for his faith, tried, and stoned to death while boldly proclaiming the gospel. And that leads to something in chapter 8, verse 1. A great persecution breaks out against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. First seven chapters, all in Jerusalem. Chapter 8, the believers scatter because of persecution. What happens is they go. Well, they continue proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Chapter 8, verse 4, those who were scattered, look at this, went on their way preaching the word. Now, they're running for their lives. Why? Because of the gospel. And yet, they continue proclaiming as they go. Then finally, as we get towards the end of the book, Acts chapter 21, verse 20, Paul's preaching, not in Jerusalem, excuse me, chapter 21, he's back in Jerusalem. He's traveled all over the place. He's back in Jerusalem, and he says this, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. By the time we get to Acts chapter 28, Paul's in Rome, the center of the, of the world at that point, greatest city, proclaiming the gospel and hoping to go on to Spain. And what we see at that point is that the gospel is spread from 120 people in Jerusalem throughout the known world, countless thousands, over a period of about 30 years. Sure, we have the apostles, we have pastors who are sharing the gospel, but we have men and women. In fact, if you look back at Acts chapter 8, it says, all except the apostles were scattered. They stayed in Jerusalem to try to organize, the, keep, keep the church there organized. And men and women, believers, ran for their lives proclaiming the gospel. In fact, what we see throughout the, the book of Acts is the gospel spreads as, and I don't like using this term, but just I think you'll understand what I mean. When normal believers share the gospel, that's what leads to the explosion of the gospel. You can do this. My friend Matt Queen is a professor of evangelism at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, puts it this way. Anyone who knows enough of the gospel to have heard it, believed it, and been saved by it, knows enough of the gospel to share it. And, and you know what? We have the promise of what will happen. We have the promise that as people hear the gospel, they will respond to it. So this morning, I, I wonder if you've heard and responded to the gospel. If not, you can today. See, we have this promise in Scripture in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. That's it, trusting in Jesus as Lord. You can do that in this room. You can do that in your living room this morning. You can do that this way, just with a simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner, and I want to be forgiven. I believe Jesus Christ, your Son, died for my sins and is alive right now. I turn away from my sins and now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and receive him into my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to control my life, and I thank you for giving me eternal life. If you're watching us online, there's a number on the screen right there that you can call or text. We'd love to share with you what it looks like to follow after Christ. If you're here this morning, we're going to sing a song of response. You can respond today. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But just as important, believer, you can share that message. Maybe, you're, maybe you look at your own life and you're like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I can do that. I don't know what that would look like. Uh, I get all, get all nervous and all confused. Well, let me tell you about something we're going to do on Wednesday nights. Hopefully in person, as we continue to wait and see what happens from week to week. I, I hope in person. But on Wednesday nights, after Thanksgiving, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, there are three Wednesday nights that we'll be together. We're going to go through a series called The Best News. Very simple gospel presentation program. You know, we were going through a gospel presentation uh, training on Wednesday nights before we got, everything got shut down in, in uh, March. And I thought, how do, we, how do we close out this year? I thought, well, what better way than, than just a, with a very simple gospel presentation, especially at Christmas season, being trained to share the best news that there is. You know, I've, I've said this before. You turn on your TV and you go to a news station. And at this point, I don't really care if, you know, if you're a Fox News or an MSNBC or anywhere in between. Um, there's plenty of bad news out there. Scroll through Facebook. Some, somebody's mad about something, right? They're, they're telling you how, how awful things are. There, there's lots of bad news. I think folks are hungry for good news. And we as followers of Christ have the best news that there is. So let's be faithful to proclaim it, to point people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather together. We ask that you will move. We ask, I ask for, for those in the room and those watching, if there's someone here who isn't trusted in Jesus yet, that you would grab their hearts this morning and move them from death to life. They would proclaim with their mouth Jesus is Lord. They would confess with their lips, believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. And as they do, what your words commanded them to do, you would do what you've promised to do, and that is move them from death to life, give them eternal life in you. I pray this week you'd give us the boldness to share. Well, it's just simply pointing someone who's going through a hard time to real hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We know we don't have the power to save anyone. That is yours alone. We're simply called to share. Help us to be obedient to that command this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.